Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, Today's topic and our title is The Power of of our words. If you've been coming here for any period of time, let me just be frank, you've you've probably heard me teach on this topic before. And the reason why is because this is a topic that for me personally, I have to revisit quite often. And and I study this topic quite often because just to be honest, there, there are times where I get so frustrated with myself when I can use my mouth on a Sunday morning here worshiping God and telling him how great he is. And then I'm surprised by some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth the rest of the week. I don't know if anyone in here is real enough to say that you deal with that as well. Um, Maybe you've got it perfectly tamed and and you've got it figured out so far, but I can tell you the reason why I want to bring this back up today is because it's been something I've been dealing with in my personal life and studying on, and and I feel like it would be very practical help for our church today, that, that once we start to learn how to use our mouths the way that God tells us to in Scripture, it's going to affect the outcome of our lives in so many ways. It affects our relationships. It, it affects our ability to have success when it comes to work and, and finances, every area of our lives. So I'm excited to jump into this today and just talk about a couple practical points uh, of the power of our words. But before we do that, I want to pray. And in fact, because it's heavy on my heart right now, many of you know uh, my uncle pastors a church in Miriam County, Florida. My, my cousin's a first responder there. My grandmother uh, lives there. How many of you have someone affected by the hurricane right now? That is a lot of people in this church. So let's just, let's pray for them right now because they're in the middle of it, right, as we speak. So Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are God over all, that you know exactly what you're doing, you know exactly the plan that you have that is going to bless people and bring people out of this storm that they're in right now. So we come together lifting up our brothers and sisters right now. We pray that you would bless people, that you would save people's lives, that you would protect people and, and, and help people in the middle of the storm. We pray that on the the offset of this storm, coming out of it, that God, um, uh, what people would recognize is not that they went through a storm, but that God, you went through it with them. So uh, we just pray for our loved ones and pray that you would help them today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The power of our words. I love the book of James because in James chapter 3, there's a really interesting writing where Jesus' brother... James, uh, is sitting back one day just kind of reflecting and thinking about the enormous impact that very small things can have on their natural surroundings. He said, consider this because it's just, it's interesting, it's fascinating. Think about the fact that a bit in a horse's mouth can control that horse. That that it's just a small two-inch piece of steel But it can be put in the mouth of a 1,500-pound animal, and a man who would have no ability to control that animal beforehand now has the ability to control him because that very small thing has such huge power over something very big and very strong. And then he said, think about this, because that's interesting, but have you ever thought about the fact that that ships, when they're on the, the sea, when they're sailing around, these enormous ships, they're controlled by just a small rudder. 
And we know history tells us that first century ships, the same time James wrote this letter, first century ships could be as large as half of a football field, 50 yards long. They could be up to 400 tons, and yet the rudder would only be about the size of the front door of your house. He's saying, isn't it fascinating that something so big, the direction that it goes in is steered by something so incredibly small. And as fascinating as that is, he said, but we could take it even farther. Have you thought about the destructive power that something so small could have? That something as small as a little spark that if it gets set in the wrong place could have such enormous power to create wildfires uh, fires and get out of control and spread the forest and destroy cities. That A wildfire can be started by something so small. And for those of us I mean, live in the West, we, we understand the destructive po- power of a wildfire. We've had smoke in our air for, for the last couple of weeks because of the fires that are taking place in the Northwest right now. We, we understand that something so small can have such enormous impact on its surroundings. And then James says, but if you think about all of those things, they all pale in comparison to the leveraging power that the human tongue has on its surroundings. That the human tongue is so small, but its size to proportion of of impact is greater than anything else we see in the natural realm, where we see that the human tongue in one person's mouth has the power to destroy, and another person's mouth has the power to build up and to create life and help and encouragement and change the atmosphere that it's in. Because you can take the human tongue and in the mouth of a man like Adolf Hitler, it has the power to incite a holocaust and start a world war that killed millions and millions of lives. But a tongue in the mouth of a man like Martin Luther King Jr. can, can start a civil rights movement and, and can begin to bring help and, and, and care to people who have been overlooked for generations. In the mouth of a man like Billy Graham, hundreds of thousands of people could come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and come into a personal relationship because the tongue is powerful enough that it has the power to both destroy, but it also has the power to build and to give life. And we as followers of Christ, Scripture, we're being pleaded with in Scripture here that we have to recognize that God gave us a tool that it might seem small and it might seem insignificant, but has incredible power that every one of us in this room have a tongue. And with that comes a problem, but also comes a great opportunity. Because he's given us the opportunity to change the atmosphere of our workplace the atmosphere of your family, the atmosphere of your neighborhood, the atmosphere of your home. Your tongue has the power to to change how you relate with your spouse and and to start speaking into them how they can become the person that God has created them to be. Your tongue can lead your children into the direction that God wants for them. We have such enormous power in our mouths. So if Scripture says this is true, then it's not a surprise that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, didn't have quite a few things to say about the use of our tongues. He's saying, we all speak a lot. In fact, let's stop and ask the question, how many words a day do we speak? And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, wait a minute, are you talking about how many words a day I speak or how many words a day my wife speaks? Because it's a different number, right? (laughs) There's a lot of debate on whether or not men or women speak more, and we're not going to get into that because we all know the answer, right? 
but uh, a very safe, gender-neutral, average number on the low side of things would say that the average human speaks 10,000 words a day. That is a whole lot of talk. I remember one of my father's friends when we were growing up, he'd always say the saying, are, are you talking or are you saying something? Because there's a difference between just opening your mouth and letting words fall out. Are you actually trying to say something? Because a lot of us, we use our 10,000 words and we're just talking, just jabbering on about whatever. And we see that if we use this many words and, and we're encouraged as followers of Christ to understand how powerful they are, then we see Solomon spends an enormous time in Scripture all throughout the Proverbs giving us guidelines of how we're supposed to use our tongue, how we're supposed to use our mouth. And in fact, he, he makes it very practical and very clear, and I want to go ahead and give you four very simple and practical points, simple to understand, simple to write down, simple to learn, but but we need God's help when it comes to fulfilling these steps in our lives. So we're not going to just come out of this service and say, I'm going to power through it and be better in these areas. No, we're going to say, God, I need your help to be able to, to accomplish using my tongue the way you want me to. So four things real quick. Since you have a tongue, using the power of your words, these are things you need to do. Number one, Solomon would encourage us to let your words be few. If you're going to speak, then let your words be few. We should all talk less. And you might be sitting next to someone going, yeah, they should talk less. No, you should talk less too. And, and this is where we get it. In Scripture, the Bible says this. Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Isn't that a great verse right there? How much better would our lives be if every one of us like followed this? Because I think of how many times I've gotten myself in trouble just because I'm talking too much. You ever spit things out and as soon as you spit them out, you just wish you could bring them back and you're like, if I would have just shut up, I would have been fine, right? Now I'm dealing with issues because I just could have, mm, right? Well, Solomon talks about that. It says in Chapter 21, verse 23, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. It's like he's giving us advice where he's saying, guys, you, you don't have to go through life learning all these lessons on your own. You don't have to go through the pain I've gone through. Take my advice, take my wisdom, learn from me so you don't suffer the same mistakes. Don't talk so much because all it's going to do is cause trouble for you, cause problems for you. And then get this, this is one of my favorite verses on the subject. Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> I love that. You should try that in the next social setting you're in. When everyone else is talking, just kind of sit back and maybe stroke your chin a little bit. And people will be like, that guy's really smart. You know? <laughs> right, because... All of us, we speak too much, and when we speak too much, we cause problems for ourselves. And this is something that Solomon's saying. He's saying, your words are powerful, so you need to recognize you shouldn't just be spraying them all over the place. Let your words be few. I remember I've, I had a great opportunity growing up um, in, in a pastor's home. My father, um, who was the founding pastor of this church, he, 
He gave me some wonderful opportunities that I recognize not everyone had these opportunities. When I was a teenager, he would invite me in on meetings uh, that not just anyone was privy to. There was counseling meetings there, uh, that I was invited into just to sit and observe. There was uh, staff meetings where people would be coming together and talking about direction and how we're going to uh, administrate a problem how uh, and work through a problem, how we're going to fix something in the church. And, and he would let me sit there to learn what it was like to be in these different ministry settings, the kind of the closed-door meetings that took place over and over again. And what I was able to observe and learn very quickly is that people, when they're passionate about things, are very opinionated about those things. You don't have to be in a closed-door meeting anymore to know that. You can get on Facebook and see that people are spraying all sorts of opinions everywhere about the things that they're passionate about. And it's not always helpful, but they're a lot of people are pretty quick to talk, and I remember my father one time after a meeting that got just a little bit heated, and people were kind of arguing and stuff like that. He sent them out of his office, and when it was done, uh, he closed the door and he asked me, he said, Dan, um, I want to see if you observe something, because all people have a tendency to fall into, to kind of lean into or fall into one of two categories uh, when it comes to talking. There are the quick talkers. And there are the slow talkers. He said, did you observe who the quick talkers were in that meeting? And it wasn't very hard. I was able to go, oh yeah, it was this person, this person, this person, and this person. I said, right. He said, who were the slow talkers? I said, this person, this person, this person. He goes, that's right. He said, everyone has a tendency to fall into one of those. And because of people's passion, uh, they care about something. They care deeply. The quick talkers are, will, will come out with their opinions and thinking, my opinion needs to be heard. You know, I care about this, and you got to hear what I have to say. Uh, I'm smart, and, I, and what I'm saying is important, so listen to me. And he said, and, and they have a tendency sometimes to steamroll the, the, the quiet talkers, the slow talkers, who maybe won't speak up very much. And, and the truth is, a lot of times in a meeting, it might look like they're not speaking very much, so they don't have much to say, or they don't care very much, but that's not the truth at all. In fact, they might have more to say on the topic, and they might be more intelligent on the topic. So he goes, in leadership, you have to be able to draw out the slow talkers and get the points that God has given them in the perspective that God has given them so that they can speak as well. Now, let me pause for a second. I'm not trying to pick on anyone in this room, because I'll tell you, um, this is coming out of my personal Bible study of where I need to fix myself. And I'll tell you, I categorize myself as a quick talker. Like, I know that. <laughs> I categorize myself as a quick talker because I, I'm one of the first ones to stand up and say, oh, you got to hear what I got to say. That's how I ended up on this stage, people. <laughs> like, I understand the problem. I see it clearly. And, in fact, every one of us in this room, we know which category we'd fall into. So just for fun, um, let's all participate in this. I, I want to know how many of you, and you might as well play along because the people sitting next to you already know the truth about you and they know what category you're in. If you're a quick talker, put your hand up real quick. Yeah, this is a good time to elbow that person that's not playing along, right? Because we know if you're a quick talker. Yeah, and now here in about 10 seconds, because I don't want to take any of you off guard, um, I'm going to ask the slow talkers um, to raise your hand. And I want to give you a little heads up so you're not taken back by this. But, but now for those of you that are slow talkers, if you would, raise your hand so we can identify ourselves, see who we are. Yeah, we recognize we can have a tendency to fall into one of these categories. We can be a little slower to speak and and, and, and I say this and I, I pick on this a little bit because Solomon 
in, in the book of Proverbs kind of tells us something that I can remember my father after one of these meetings pulling me out of, told me, and, and I remember it kind of stung a little bit, but it has so helped me throughout the, the following uh, couple years of my life and certainly throughout the rest of my life to this date right now is I remember there was a meeting one time when after the meeting was over, my father pulled Amelie and I aside and he told me something that it stung at the time, but he was doing it out of love. He said, Dan, do you want to be successful? And I said, yes, I want to be successful. And then he said, listen to me. Use half of your words. I was like, ah, really? Come on. Because I was 19, and at 19, I knew everything, right? It is hard when you know everything to have someone tell you to, to use half of your words. But, but just like all of us in this room, when we were young adults, we, we kind of felt like, you know, I got to figure it out. People want to know what I have to say. People want to hear my opinion. So I talked a lot, and my dad said, no, if people want your opinion, they will ask for it. Light bulb, right? And, and I remember it stung, but he said, Dan, use half your words. And then he goes, let's take it a step farther. And then once you use half those words, use half of those words. And, and I remember kind of the transition that had to take place and the fact that I was recognizing, I was a quick talker. I was steamrolling people. I, I wasn't listening. I was just talking. And, and, I, and we see this, and I'm sharing it with you now, because this is exactly what Solomon is trying to encourage those of us in this room. And again, I'm pointing the finger at myself. Is He's saying, if you're a quick talker, maybe what you should do is make your words be few. Use half your words. Speak less. Proverbs talks all about the fact that wise people think before they talk. So if you're a quick talker and you're thinking, am I talking too much? Yes, you are. <laughs> if it even comes into your mind, yes, you are. So you might ask a trusted friend, say, hey, am I talking too much? And then do yourself a favor and try not to interrupt them when they're answering you, right? If you're environmentally uh, mindset, if you've got an environmental mindset, think of it as like your your verbal footprint, right? We're just trying to reduce our verbal footprint. And and I, I say that again, lighthearted. This is what this is what Solomon's saying is like we can cause ourselves so much problem by talking too much. The flip side of this, the slow talkers in this room, I want to encourage you. The Bible uh, w would say to you here in Proverbs thirty-eight one. Uh, Solomon said to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who, who are being crushed. Solomon says there are times when you need to speak up even when it doesn't feel comfortable to you. And in fact, you need to not be intimidated by the quick talkers. You need to know that God gave you a voice for a reason. And your perspective that he's given you, he's given you to them for a reason. So don't let people that are talking too much around you keep you from bringing to the table what God wants you to bring to the table. So Solomon, he said, first off, let your words be few. And then the second thing we see in Scripture that he shows us is the principle, let your words be true. Let your words be true. The, the Bible says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Proverbs 25, 18 says, Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe or wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. See, Solomon has nothing good to say in all of his writings about people who tells lie, tell lies. In fact, in all of Scripture, we don't see anything good said about people who spread 
liars. And I wonder, have you ever known a liar? Someone who just lies about random things. And in fact, I can think of someone that I knew in my life who just, he lied about stupid stuff. Like, and sometimes we could go, you know, I can see that as a defense mechanism. It's like self-preservation. That's why a person could get themselves into a trap of lying. But I knew someone who just lied about the dumbest things. And he lied so much that all of us that were around him got to the point where we didn't trust a word that came out of his mouth. He was the type of guy, he'd come in the room and go, man, it's a beautiful sunny day. And my first thought was, I'm going to look outside and see if it's cloudy. You know? Have you ever known someone like that before? It's like, I don't want to be that person. And and the truth is, why we're being warned here is you can lose so much trust when you let lies come out of your mouth. So I'm saying, make sure your words are true because lying is a problem. It's a huge problem. It's it's a terrible problem. You you don't pass go on this one. There's so many warnings about how we should not be liars, but then even beyond that, we, we should protect ourselves from other liars, because if you lie about something, even though you feel like it's insignificant, it's opening a door to be able to lie about things that are important. In fact, I can remember just a couple years ago, I rented a skid steer, and we were doing a project in our backyard, and the equipment guy that was dropping it off over at the house, he asked me a question, have you ever been on a skid steer before? And I said, yeah, and he said, how long has it been? Well, I knew it had been at least 18 years since I've been on a skid steer. And my answer to him was, it's been about 10 years. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of reached down and put his hand on me. It was like, why did you say that? And, and now the guy's talking to me, and I'm not even hearing him anymore because I'm, I, I'm wrestling with God and I'm wrestling with myself going, why did I say that? Why did I under-exaggerate or over-exaggerate, even though it's just, just a little, like, what does it matter? Am I, like, trying to show this guy, get this guy's approval that I'm a tough guy and it's not like I don't know how to run equipment because I'm a pastor or something, but, but I, I'm, a, I'm a tough guy that could go out there and get dirty too? And I'm going, where is this even coming from? And, and while I'm sitting there having this wrestling match in my mind, I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was kind of imparting that to me, saying, Dan, if you would lie about something like this that, that might be seemingly unimportant, isn't it opening the door for you to lie about something that is greatly important? So right there it was humbling, but I had to just stop and say, hey, You know what? It has been years and years and years. It's been a very long time. So instead of me getting in this machine and killing myself or one of my dogs or knocking my house over or something, would you please show this preacher boy how to run this machine before you leave? It was humbling. But so easily can we allow a lie to slip out of our mouth and and it can so quickly become something so bad. And that's why parents, if, if your children start lying, there, there, has to be, there has to be consequences. There has to be something that would steer them away from lying. You've got to stick to your guns. You can't let them get by with it because if so, if you just let them lie, you're allowing them. Because research shows people who have patterns of lying, it starts as a kid. And, and, and we got to recognize that if you just say, okay, go on that way with your life, according to Scripture, we're allowing them to walk down a life that, that is leading towards destruction, leading towards the loss of jobs and loss of relationships and loss of all sorts of things. Because Scripture say, never let words come out of your mouth that aren't true, even if it hurts. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if your boss doesn't want to hear it, even if your best friend doesn't want to hear you talk about this subject again, don't let words come out of your mouth unless they're true. That's what Solomon says. 
And then he goes on and he, and he would warn us, like, don't be around people who lie. You know, don't hire them. If you have someone on your staff that's a liar, then fire them. You know, don't hang out with them. Don't date them. Don't marry them. Don't do business with them. Don't golf with them because they're always going to somehow get a lower score than you. If you go fishing with them, they're going to catch the bigger fish, right? At least they'll say. He warns us. He says, first off, let your words be few. Let your words be true. And then number three, let your words be gentle. Let your words be gentle. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. 15.4 says, gentle words are a tree of life. 16.21 says, pleasant words are persuasive. Proverbs 22.11 says, whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have the king as a friend. So we got to let our words be few and true, but our words have to be gentle. Because if you use harsh words, if you use cruel words, or devaluing words, or incendiary words, then the outcome is 100% predictable. Tempers will flare, decibels will double, anger will amp, and then before you know it, you find yourself in a good old school, old fashioned shouting match where there's fingers being pointed and, and veins throbbing and doors being slammed. And, and what's so bad about these shouting matches is that it's in these shouting matches when we find ourselves tempted to use words that not only are just not gentle, but we could even use the, the type of words that we call verbal hand grenades. And if you've ever been in a fight before, if you've been in one of these shouting matches before, um, you've felt that temptation to use that because you know, I could say this, and if I say this, it's really going to sting them. That, that's really going to get their attention. That's really going to hurt them. And I wonder, have, have you ever been in a shouting match where you've, you've flung one of those grenades? Was it worth it? Was the cleanup that took so long afterwards worth the, the fallout that you saw was flinging that grenade, I can tell you as a young husband, learning how to live with another person, there's conflict. And, and it, it was just early in our marriage when I started to learn that, that it's so valuable to, to just destroy those hand grenades, to just take them and throw them away because anytime I found myself as a young man in an argument where I'd fling one of those grenades, it's like I'd just sit back and watch it fall and see what happened. Then it, what I started to recognize is I would go back and I would have to work for so long to regain trust and, and, and rebuild relationship. And, and, and sometimes the wounds and the scars that happen with the verbal grenades we throw out of our own mouths last so much longer than the conflict that it's not even in comparison. And the conflict is gone in, in, in hours or, or days and the, the scars from that could last for years. And I wonder if Solomon here isn't pleading with us going, guys, don't do that. Let your words be gentle. Instead of using your words to hurt other people, let them be gentle. If you're going to get in conflict with people, there are ways you can talk to them. You can bring a gentle word into a conversation. Twelve years ago, I went to the leadership summit, and they were talking just about conflict in the workplace. And they, I heard Bill Hybels, the lead pastor of Willow Creek, talk about that there are three words he uses in conflict that has revolutionized the way that their staff trust each other and the way their family trusts each other. And I started using these three words, and I can tell you it helps so, so much. These are valuable words. They're gentle words. The three words is 
help me understand. And when you're going into a conflict, instead of coming in accusatory and pointing the finger, you come in asking the question, help me understand. It communicates that I'm being gentle, that what I want ultimately is resolution here. I, I want to know. And, and it looks different in different situations. You can talk with your kids. Sarah, help me understand. Why is our phone bill $400 this week? Right? You talk to your spouse and, um, honey, can you help me understand why your clothes always end up like five feet away from the hamper? Help me understand. Do we need to move the hamper five feet, right? Or, or Jim, help me understand how come the last four employees I put under you in, in your management role have all quit the job? What does it do? Okay, I'm not talking about coming across sarcastic with this, but when you come humbly with these words, it brings a gentle spirit into your, your conversation to where then you're working towards resolution. So there's great value in that. Could you imagine with me if in politics that's what took place throughout the debates? Instead of sitting down and pointing the finger at each other and calling names and all that sort of stuff, what if Hillary Clinton and... Donald Trump sat down across from each other, and they had a very calm conversation. And she said, Mr. Trump, can you help me understand your stance on this situation? And then he said, well, yeah. And they talk, and then, Miss Clinton, would you please help me understand your stance on it? Could you imagine what our country would look like if we would actually listen to one another as opposed to just coming with these incendiary comments and, and these harsh words to one another? And this is what Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, you have such power in your mouth. You've got to understand, there is damage when you just fling harsh words out there. So you've got to make sure that every word that comes out of your mouth is gentle. Okay, number one, there shouldn't be that many words coming out of your mouth. Make sure they're few. Number two, make sure they're true. Number three, make sure they're gentle. And then number four, the last one before we dismiss today, is make sure that every word that comes out of your mouth, let your words be life-giving. Life-giving. The power of life and death is in the tongue. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 10, 11, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. 10, 20, the words of the godly are like sterling silver, saying they're valuable. 1218, the words of the wise bring healing. 1624, the words are, are like, uh, like honey and sweet to the soul, healthy to the body. And then Ephesians 429 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. So this is a two-part command here, saying if we're followers of Christ, then we need to recognize, number one, we should never let unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. That, that's words that are negative, words that are crude, words that cut down, words that are, are, are just curse words or are, are vulgar in any sort of way like that. He's going, your mouth has not been given to you so that you can use it to just tear people down and devalue people. He's saying, first off, make sure no unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth. Number two, then he said, make sure every word that does come out of your mouth is used to build people up. Because this is what it all comes down to. We see all the negative things that our tongue has the power to do. But what we need to recognize as followers of Christ is we have the power to change our circumstances and our atmospheres in our homes, in our city. 
And, and that's where the responsibility on the Christ follower lies. Is do you recognize you have the responsibility to go into your workplace and when everyone else is negative, you can build up your workplace. And when other people are saying, no, you can't sell a home in this economy, you can say, I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to speak life into my situation and build up my situation. So, okay, you guys don't have to sell your house, but I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it way above market value because I'm not going to speak negative about those very things that God wants me to build up. And you don't have to use your words to tear down your wife's weaknesses. You can wash her with the word the Bible tells us to do. You can use your words to strengthen her and encourage her to be who God wants her to be. Wives, you can do the same thing to your husband to encourage him to be the man who God wants him to be. There's a couple of life-giving, build-you-up phrases that I think every one of us in this room need to become better at practicing, saying on a daily basis in our lives. And I've wrote them down. Here's a few of them. I believe in you. You can do this. I trust you. I need you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. I love you. Do you realize there are people in your life who desperately need to hear these things? And they're not hearing it from anywhere else. They're not hearing it from the world. They're not hearing it when they go to the workplace. They need The people that God has given you influence with in your life need to hear these type of life-building words. And we got the responsibility given to us in the book of Ephesians as Christ followers. We're the ones that are supposed to be doing this. And the Bible tells us here that, that if we use our words to build people up, it's, it's like a life-giving fountain. I want to be that type of person. You realize, when we say something like, I believe in you, there's someone in your life who desperately needs to hear that, who's got this battle going on on the inside, going, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can keep pushing through this. And when you say that, it's like throwing them a lifeline. You can do this. It does the same thing. I trust you. Man, that is a powerful statement. I remember as a teenager, I had my plans of what I was going to do on the weekend. And to be honest, they weren't good plans. And, and I'd get ready to go out, and my father would grab me, and he would put his hand on both shoulders, and he'd look me right in the eye and say, Dan, I trust you. Man, you know what that does? <laughs> when, when someone puts their trust in you, it makes you want to live up to that trust. I don't want to break that trust. I don't want to lose that trust. I, 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 want, I, I want to earn that trust. So, so I can tell you there's been so many times when I've thrown my plans out the window because I'm going, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to break this trust. Someone loves me and trusts me. I don't want to lose that. It's so powerful. Parents, we need to stop just telling our kids, nagging at our kids, don't do this, don't do that. So let's start telling them who they can be and start telling them we trust them and who they can be. It's powerful. Let's give them, let's give them a, a standard to live up to. And that standard is our love and our trust. You know, to be able to tell someone I need you is, is a difficult thing. It takes a little bit of humility, but, but there are people in your life that need to hear those words. I'm proud of you. This is something I've practiced with my kids since they were infants. I remember every time I, I'd kiss them and, and be putting them in bed and I'd tell them I love you and I'm proud of you and I can remember Kayla when you were three years old I went in your room and I was tucking you in one night and I said honey I love you and I'm proud of you and she goes daddy I know you're proud of me <laughs> okay cool awesome and as I'm walking out she goes daddy I'm like, yeah she goes, what's proud of me mean <laughs> 
I was like, that is a win for the team, man. Like, she, it was instilled into her that she knew I was proud of her, but she didn't even know what it meant. And, and I'm thinking, I, I looked at that as a great success because what I want to do in my own family is I want to be someone who's instilling these life-building words in their lives. Guys, I can tell you words like, I respect you, and words like, I love you, can't be replaced with any actions. They can't be replaced with your thoughts. They need to be vocalized. Would you stand with me? I love the fact that our God shows us that we have been given a tool of such incredible power, and it can be used for bad. That's what we see around us, but he encourages us. We don't have to use it for bad. We can use it to strengthen people's lives, to, to encourage people, to change atmospheres. So I want to encourage you today, you know someone right now that needs to hear those words. You know someone that needs a little life-building words. And as Christ followers, I want to encourage us all to take on the challenge of say, you know what, before this, the sun goes down today, let's start calling people and telling them what they, they need to hear, building people up, telling them I love you, I trust you, I respect you, you're important to me, you matter to me, I need you. And seeing how our words can drastically change the environment of our loved one's lives. So, if Solomon is saying it's so important that we understand this, we need to all recognize that to use our words properly, let our words be few, let our words be true, let them be gentle, and let them be life-giving. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. And I believe right now your Holy Spirit is convicting us in a couple different ways. You're telling us where you want us to go back and fix things and mend relationships where we've used our words in negative ways. But I also know that, that God, right now, you're speaking into each one of us, someone in our life who needs to hear some encouraging and uplifting and life-building words. And I pray that, God, it wouldn't just be today, but every day of our lives, we start using our mouths to build people up. Thank you so much for the power that you've given us in your word and in our own mouths. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970 245 pray or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.